Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Golf Talk Live. I'm your host, Ted Odorico, and we've got a great show for you tonight. Another Thursday evening here. Uh, in fact, the last Thursday of the month of May. We're already going to be heading in next week uh, in the month of June. It's uh, almost almost halfway through the year. It's hard to believe how fast the 2016 season is going. But uh, anyways, we're glad that you were able to join us tonight on the show. Uh, glad that you're tuning in. And just to remind everybody, of course, we are live on Thursday evenings from 6 to 8 p.m. Central uh, Standard Time. That's 7 to 9 p.m. for those of you on the East Coast, and 4 to 6 for those of you out in Pacific time. Uh, appreciate you tuning in uh, live for those of you can. Um, but for some reason, if you can't, just go to blogtalkradio.com uh, forward slash golf talk live, which is the general link for the show. And uh, if you can't tune in live, you can just scroll down there to the on-demand section, and you can listen to the show uh, a little bit later uh, at your leisure. But uh, again, I appreciate you those uh, tuning in live uh, during the broadcast. Uh, also, if you want to speak to any of the guests during the live broadcast, you can do so by calling in at area code 646-716-4667. Uh, would love to have you join in the, in the discussion if you so choose. And also, if you want to email questions or comments uh, about the program, you can do so by sending them to my email, which is ted.golftalklive at gmail.com. And if you're somebody in the golf profession, if you're a teach professional, uh, maybe you're a coach or an entrepreneur or somebody that's maybe put together an interesting uh, golf book that you want to share with my audience. I'd love to have you. Uh, you can also reach out to me through my email as well. And again, that is ted.golftalklive at gmail.com. And I will uh, certainly be glad to add you into the mix. And just to give you the heads up, we're already booked right through to the end of July. So I've got lots of great guests coming up here in the weeks to come. And uh, I hope you'll uh, continue to tune in and, and spread the word. Don't forget to uh, go to blogtalkradio.com forward slash golf talk live. Uh, share that link. Would love to have uh, more listeners tune in. Uh, also, uh, updates on social media on facebook.com. Go to facebook.com forward slash golf talk live blog. That's the page uh, that I update on, including my own personal page. And uh, while you're there, make sure that you like the page if you haven't already done so. And you can also follow me on Twitter. My Twitter handle is Ted and Buck. CEO, CEO, of course, is in capital letters, and thanks again to all of the new followers. Got a great show for you uh, starting up here in just a moment is uh, going to be another great coach's corner. Got uh, Clint Wright, Lloyd Higley, and Anthony uh, Brooks going to be joining us here in just a second. And then a little bit later in the show, uh, PJ Master Professional uh, John Hughes is going to be joining me. And a little bit later in our conversation, we're going to be joined by uh, Mike Hammond from Game Golf. He's going to be coming on. He's the uh, uh, director of channel sales uh, for Game Golf. He's going to be joining in about halfway through the conversation uh, with uh, with John. We're going to talk about some very interesting things tonight uh, uh, a little bit later in the broadcast. But as I said, I've got a great uh, panel all ready to go here, so let me just bring them out. Uh, first up, of course, is uh, uh, become a good friend over the years, uh, Clint Wright, a 30-year member of the PGA. He's also a partner at TGM Golf and a big proponent 
of the R3 approach, which you've heard him talk about with his partners here uh, on the show before. And, and obviously one of my favorite guests, another uh, favorite guest uh, as well, hasn't been on the show for a little while, but he's uh, joining back in the mix as well is Lloyd Higley. And uh, he's a teacher professional up at the Chicagoland Golf Academy and considered to be one of the, among the top pros in the Chicago area. So you want to make sure you look him up and uh, a fairly newcomer to uh, the show, but uh, certainly not a newcomer to the business. Uh, Anthony, or uh, abbreviatedly known as Tony Brooks, uh, he's a PGA master professional uh, with a professional background, which also includes uh, a successful tenure as a competitive golfer, as well as receiving some of the one of the highest honors, which is a PGA master professional among about 400 plus of his fellow uh, pros. And uh, he was also a former head professional who uh, started his career as an apprentice at the famed Riviera Country Club in Los Angeles, California. Gentlemen, welcome to Coach's Corner. I'm glad you're Thank you. All right. I hope I, hope I got everything uh, correct there. I apologize if I, I slipped up a couple of times with my tongue, but uh, I'm sure you'll forgive me. All right, guys, we're going to have a great uh, discussion tonight. And uh, I gave you a little bit of a heads up before we went on, on the air one of the first questions, and Clint, I'm going to I'm going to start with you if you don't mind, mm-hmm. uh, with the conversation, and uh, sure. we're going to talk about first off the dangers of seeking that perfection. Um, you know, a lot of club golfers, a lot of amateurs out there are always trying to perfect their swing, perfect their game, and it almost becomes an obsession. Um, let's talk a little bit about some of the dangers of doing that, and we certainly want them to improve. We want to help them. Uh, to to improve their game, but some of them take it a little bit overgore, uh, overboard. What are some of the, the dangers of doing that, of trying to become too perfect uh, in your golf game? Well, you know, Ted, for, to start with, I think you're talking about two different things. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether they want to improve their swing or improve their game, in my opinion, is two different things. Right. Um, and, you know, the, the dangers, if there are any, I mean, it, it's just not obtainable. They're, they they get to a point to where they're focused so much on the, the swing motion and, and right. hitting the ball better is that they never really ever have the luxury of going over and learning how to play. And we yep. we talk about this all the time, and and th- that's the danger I see, is they, they get stuck in their swing mechanics ideas. They go to the range all the time. They get stuck there. And their game never improves, and that's the danger. The danger is their game never improves, their score never goes down, and they either are extremely frustrated players or they don't, or they don't play at all. Yeah, and, and, you know, that's and you're the right. Danger. They never get that opportunity to really work on their game. Yeah, and, and you're exactly right. It is two different areas, and, and uh, thank you for, for pointing that out. Um, Lloyd, I think maybe part of the problem that we see out there with a lot of the amateurs is they're, they're watching these, you know, pros on television, um, you know, the Tiger Woods and, and uh, the Mickelsons and some of the others out there as well, um, you know, the McElroys, and, and they're seeing these guys, you know, grinding it out, uh, you know, even out in the range. Those that are, have the, uh, the luxury of, of going to a PGA event, see them out on the practice uh, area, and they're just working and honing on their skills, as, as Clint talked about, and, and working on their swing and getting everything down pat. Um, and they think that that's what they've got to do in order to play better golf. And certainly you do have to um, work at some of the fundamentals, but at the same time, as Clint pointed out, you've got to work uh, and, and play the game as well to become better. Working on mechanics alone is not going to make you necessarily a better golfer. It's going to help, but it's not going to make you a better golfer. Is that one of the dangers that you see as well, that they're trying to mimic too many of the, the pros that they see on TV? Uh, yeah, I, I think that that's a real 
you know, think for for all your amateur golfers are trying to be the, you know, uh, get in the same positions that Rory McIlroy is getting into or get into the same positions or or uh, that, you know, Tiger is doing and all that. And a lot of – and back to what Clint was just saying, and I agree with him 100%, you know, I, I, I do lessons and I'll have classes of beginners and, you know, even a little bit advanced players and all that. And I can't tell you how many times the beginners or the, or the people in my lesson, my groups will sit there and go, uh, do you think I'm good enough now to go out and play? And I sit there, yeah. I go, yeah, go play. <laughs> what, are you, what are you doing? I, I say, you know, and, and I, I kind of tell my students when they go out there for their, you know, I take a lot of my beginners out, uh, part of the group <laughs> classes, and we go out and we play a few holes, and I tell them, I says, listen, 90% of the people that are out there playing stink anyway. They just stink further up the fairway than you do. You know, you That's don't right. hit it as far and all that stuff. You know, uh, and, and they're so worried that people are watching them and that I'm not going to do it right and all that. You know, so I teach them the etiquette and things like that. But I says, listen, nobody is concerned about your game when they're playing with you. They're concerned about their game. They're not driving home that that day going, oh, boy, that poor guy, you know, he did this on the first hole, and then I saw him <laughs> do this on no, they're not concerned about your game. You know, as long as you've got uh, course etiquette, you're courteous, you leave the course in better shape than when you found it, you don't step in their lines and you do that, people just want to go out and play. So, yeah, you got to go out and play. You know, you, you can't be chasing after a look of a Rory McIlroy who's been doing this since he was two years old. You know, it's, yeah. just, it's, 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 a, it's a pipe dream. Yeah, well, well said. Um Tony, I want to take this on a little bit of a different spin for you, if you don't mind. Um, obviously, you know, I think that the two uh, before you have, have covered it quite nicely. But how do we change the mindset of some of the amateurs out there to, to, to get them not to be so worried about what, what everybody else is going to think about their swing? And, and you know, as, as Lloyd just pointed out, people are not looking over their shoulder and say, gosh, did you see the guy behind me? I mean, you know, occasionally, yeah, somebody whiffs a shot or – or, you know, hits a big old slice two fairways over, of course, people are going to take notice. But um, for the most part, people are, as Lloyd said, are focused on their own game. But there's a mindset out there with a lot of amateurs that they're trying to look uh, for the holy grail of golf swings, and it just really does not exist. Um, how do we change that mindset? What do we do to, to convince people that, hey, uh, get out there, as, as Clint says, get out there and play and work on the fundamentals that you've been taught, um, but not to, you know, not to, to the point where you're actually sort of having a reverse effect and, and sort of crippling yourself. Sure. And, that, you know, that's one of the art forms of learning how to score in this game. Well, you know, I think the panel before me said it perfectly. Um, I think it just starts with education, especially from the teaching professional to the students. And, you know, I'm, I'm guilty of this too. Sometimes I don't educate them on what they need to expect. And us as humans have a little bit too much of expectations upon ourselves, especially in this game of golf. And the game of golf is just, you know, there's so many things that are outside of your control. And perfection is no such thing as, as golf. Just like life, you can't perfect life, you can't perfect golf. So, you know, right. most of my come up to me and they say, hey, did you see so-and-so on TV and I want to be like him, blah, blah, blah. What I end up telling them is that, look, you're watching the best thousand golfers on this planet. Out of how many hundreds of millions of golfers are you watching a thousand of them? Plus, you're, yep. you're watching the guys that made the cut. Plus, you're watching the guys that are leading. So you're watching the best, <laughs> yeah. thousand, sure. best of a thousand at that time. Sure, they're going to make more putts. Sure, they're going to hit more fairways. But have you actually gone and watched these guys on a regular basis? They hit it sideways just like you and I do. So yep. you know, just, just getting them across the point that they need to understand that golf is not a game of good shots. It's a game of good misses. 
How well can you miss the ball so it's in play? And my goal with them is to instruct them of that and provide them with a move based on their body type and their body build. We're not trying to invent Rory McIlroy's out there. It's impossible. We, we shouldn't be setting right. ourselves up for that. We should be inventing golfers of their ability, playing within their shop. And I know Clint's going to agree with me 100%. Spend more time on the putting green in the short game because that's where it really matters. So, <laughs> Absolutely. You know, educating them, you know, educating the ideology of perfection that does not exist in golf, and we shouldn't treat it for perfection. And yes, it can be um, a detriment to yourself because all of a sudden you become very robotic, searching for that perfect shot. And it goes all the way back to Ben Hogan. You know, you ask Ben Hogan amongst when he finished his round of golf, how many perfect shots did he hit? He would say one to two. You ask any amateur how many perfect shots they hit, they would say one to two. So why are we focusing on one to twos when we should be focusing on how well do I miss the rest of my other shots? Right, exactly. Yep. Clint, Clint, I think Tony took that out of the Clint Wright playbook. Uh, oh, he did, so. but I tell you, it, it's it's <laughs> phenomenal. If I add something to that, is that if you watch the women, you know, we talked briefly before on the air about mm-hmm. the women's uh, championship, and if you watch the last couple of holes, the, I was channeling the third shot program to these girls, I'm telling you. <laughs> yep. <laughs> they, they won that golf tournament with a third shot. Yep. You yep. know, that up and in. But, you know, one of the things that, that we do, that, and they're both correct, is that the there's such a misperception of the amateur players of how the tour players or even the top collegiate players actually play. Right, right. And I sit down with my guys sometimes and say, okay, you know, here's how they play. They they hit 60% of the greens. They do this. They do that. You know, and it's phenomenal. You guys can check this out. Both on the ladies' tour, the men's tour, and the collegiate tour, the numbers on number over par on the par threes, par fours, and par fives are almost identical. Yeah. They play the par threes a little bit over par, the par fours a little bit over par, and they all make a living on the par fives. Yeah. It's phenomenal. And if you ask the average player, and I know these guys do the same thing, how do the tour players play? I actually now have gone to the point to asking my students, you want to play like Jason Day? <laughs> and every one of them go, yeah. I said, well, here's how he plays. You know, he, he, he leads one category to player's championship and wins by four shots. Can you tell me which one it was? <laughs> they don't. Right. They don't know. It was yeah. scrambling. Yeah. yeah. It wasn't greens and regulation. It wasn't fairways hit. It wasn't the least number of putts. It was how close he pitched the ball to the hole. Right. Yeah, you know, and that. Four. Right, and that raises an interesting point too, Clint. Is is if you look at Tiger's career, uh, you know, especially he hit it he everywhere. At, at, yeah, he hit it everywhere. I mean, he hit a lot of wayward shots. I mean, he could certainly hit it a mile when when he connected, and certainly he did hit some great shots down the fairway. But there were a lot of his early tournaments that he won where he was hitting out of the left rough, the right rough, in behind from behind trees, but it was his it was excuse me his his recovery um that really uh kept him in the game and if he didn't have these uh that ability to do that right. you know he he would not have been the number one player for as long as he had and you're exactly right. Um th- this sort of rolls and Tony kind of led me into this a, a little bit but uh brings me to the next um sort of question if you will is you know, listening to our students is, is obviously a courtesy is a given, um, but it's important. Why is it important? And, and Lloyd, I'm going to talk to you first, and then we'll go to yeah. Tony and then to Clint last. Uh, obviously, it's a courtesy to listen to our students, but why is it important that we listen 
um, to what they have to say. What are, again, sort of some of the dangers as professionals if we're not really paying attention to what the students are telling us? Well, um, you know, I'm a firm believer that how they perceive the golf swing, if we're just talking about now just the, you know, the technical aspects of the golf swing sure. itself, not necessarily playing the game, but how they perceive it is what they're going to try to do. Um, you know, how the mind, the, the mind moves the body. And if the mind thinks that I got to hit a ball, you know, and when I hit the ball, the swing is, you know, blah, blah, blah. Well, that's what they're going to try to do. And their body is going to try to get them to do it because the mind perceives it that way. So I always like to talk to you. one of the nicest or one of the best things that I've learned this year that I've done with my students this year, especially individual lessons uh, that I've got with people is I ask them, I say, I'm going to take a swing here and I'll purposely take, a, I don't know, a slice or a you know, big hook or something like that. And I say, now you give me the lesson. What did I do there? You know, um, mm-hmm. I'm a firm believer in, in getting my students to the point that they're, don't ever need me again other than they, when they want a tune up, they want a, uh, you know, something has gone a little array or, you know, Hey, let's do some short game stuff. Let's do some sand stuff, things like that. But I want them to have a complete understanding of what it is that they are trying to do. And when the, when the wheels fall off, what it is that they should be looking for. So when I asked them, I said, okay, what did I do on that swing? I want them to give me, not a, not a half-hour lesson. I just want them to give me a little bit of a lesson saying, oh, well, you know what, your uh, club got a little outside of your hands. You came a little outside in. And so I saw your ball flight, and you had, a, you had a slice there, so we know your path was blah, blah, blah. I want them to do that. So, yeah, a student is going to do whatever they perceive they should be doing. So right. having them talk about it is real important. Right, and, and that, that cer- that's certainly uh, – I agree with that 100%, certainly one aspect of it. But, Tony – uh, one of the other things, too, I think why it's extremely important uh, as a coach or a teach professional that we have to listen to the students is one of the criticisms that I've heard um, within the industry is that um, sometimes the pros will try to impose what they feel the students should be doing um, regardless of whether it fits that particular individual's uh, style or game. Uh, in other words, if uh, somebody's working with a specific theory or approach – and uh, if they're not really listening to what the students uh, saying to them, a lot of times they're imposing, you know, their own theory, if you will, uh, without really understanding the students' problems. Um, is that a problem that you see as well? And, and uh, again, the importance of listening. Sure, and I couldn't agree with you more. Um, you know, I, I look at this as a relationship just like any relationship should be. Although I'm not the best relationship personally with my personal life, I do try and make up for it in my golf. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> hey, welcome to the, welcome to the club, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I just go ahead and I, I let them talk because I want to listen to where they're coming from, their mindset. They might not uh, see what I see, and I want to see how they, they visualize the shot. I want to see, do they internalize things? Do they think about stuff? Are they homeschooled? Like, do they watch a lot of YouTube videos? Are they misdiagnosing themselves? You know, and this is a, that whole communication process. And I, I do my, my students a favor, and I really talk to them, and I explain, as soon as I meet you, look, I'm not going to change your golf swing without your permission because you are the one in control, right? I'm just, I'm just here to help you. When I'm gone, right. I only see you once a week for 30 to 45 minutes, maybe an hour. And that's not even a full-hour lesson, but I only see you once a week, so you're by yourself the rest of the time. Right. Now, mm-hmm. I have to figure out how can I make this work 
based on the way you feel. And I'm almost trying to interview the devil because when I'm alone, oh, excuse me, when they're alone by by themselves, away from me, that's where the devil creeps in, right? That's where yeah, right. thinking about other stuff. That's when they, their friends come along and say, oh, no, he's he's strengthening <laughs> for the wrong reason. you know. And then I try and create yeah. communication because they have to trust me and they have to trust sure. that I'm guiding them in the correct the correct lane, or else there's right. a, no trust and b that there's no communication. And I think the problem with I'm not going to say a majority of the teaching professionals, but some of the ones that I've listened to, there is absolutely no communication, and it's almost like they're doing the student a favor by actually letting them take a lesson from them. So I think that's yeah. where you know we all need to start addressing this. We all need to communicate. The ideology of teaching is changed, and we went over this a month ago in our last. Uh, roundtable event where we know it's no longer about just teaching you how to slice, uh, cure a slice, or cure a hook. It's about getting involved in the person's life. Right. right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Well said. And and Clint, um, I know that there's really not a lot of wiggle room here. I mean, it's they they two have pretty much summed up. Uh, I think from that. But uh, any thoughts that you want to throw in there? Yeah. As well? Yeah. There's a you know I, I guess I'm you know the the simple <laughs> approach is that you have you know it, it's it's their money, their time. Mm-hmm. And I always have to, I look at it this way. I'll ask the student, what do you think is wrong? Why, why, are you, why are you paying me money to help you right now? What, what, what do you want to do? What do you think is wrong? What can right. I help you improve? And then, you know, we put them on video and either disprove their idea or right. we both buy into the same thing. See, yep. so... It's my job to either buy into what they think is wrong and agree with them and then come up with solutions to fix it, or it's my job to say, look, nah, I'm not so sure that that's what you're doing, and mm-hmm. here's the evidence. So I have right. to talk with them and have a conversation either to agree with them and map out a plan for improvement, or I have to have a conversation with them to prove that they're not really right we need to go down this other path if we really want to get better. Right. Yeah. So, so to me, it's about buy-in. It's either buy into what they know is wrong, or convince them that you're right, and they need to buy into what you think is wrong. And that, yeah, that, and carries, that, that carries a need of conversation. Right, yep. and and that raises a um, again an interesting point because you're right, uh, Clint. A lot of students out there um, that try to do a self-diagnosis come up with uh, what they feel is is the problem. And until you've actually sort of taken a, a good look and, you know, put it on video and, and then shown them, um, because we obviously, our eyes look forward. We can't see, you know, above us right. and as far as what, what we're doing. So until we actually see ourselves um, on, on video or, or some device like that, uh, it, it's difficult to really be able to analyze. And, and it goes back to what Lloyd was saying. You know, obviously one of the objectives is we want to be able to help them sort of do a self-diagnosis. I mean, we certainly don't want to take away from, from business, but at the same time, they understand why um, they're getting the reactions or the results that they're getting is going to better help them in the long run to be able to work through some of the problems. In other words, we're simply giving them a tool to handle their problem-solving, making their problem-solving skills a little bit better. Um, right. let, let's, let's go on. Um, next question I want to ask you guys um, and I was sort of leading to this a little bit off air. We've got, obviously got some funky swings out in the tour over the years. Uh, Lee Trevino, uh, Jim Furyk, and, and there's a, a host of others that have had some less than what we'd classify by today's standards the perfect swing. 
uh, even though it really doesn't exist. Um, how do we get students, Clint? I'm going to start back with you, even though I know you just finished. Okay. Um, how do we get students to accept the quirks and their swings? Um, you know, how, how do we get them to, to sort of realize that, hey, you know, you may not have the picture perfect swing um, by today's standards, but that doesn't mean you can't make it work. How do we, again, wrap their mind around that? Well, you know, the the main tenet, and we go not to do any advertising here, but the the R three <laughs> approach, the 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 main tenet uh, of that approach is to take what you've got today and make it work. Right. Okay. Whatever it is, and that's what the the Jim Furyks and Lee Trevino's and the Bruce Litsky's and the mm-hmm. you know yep. uh, Tony Penn, uh, they all just took what they had and made it work. So I I tend if you have a person like that, there's just kind of it's you know that's what they're going to do. They're not physically capable of doing anything other than that. I think you sit down with them. Now, I haven't done a lot of this because I really haven't had that much experience with that quirky swing that you just had to, you know, yep. to, to, you know, close your eyes and bite your tongue and hope you could teach them to chip, <laughs> blood, you know. Um, but, you know, I haven't had that much experience. But I think you just sit them down and show, that, hey, look at all of these odd swings here. And these guys yep. have made millions of dollars with this ugly thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Right? True. So let's take what you've got. You know, there's all kind of stories, but the Tommy Armour story about watching the guy shank the ball 30 times and just tell him to groove what you got, Harold. Just groove what you got. (laughs) You know? (laughs) There's something to that. But you've got to get them to buy into it. You've got to prove to them, say, look, this is okay. The players have to come to at some point to accept the fact that that's the way they're going to swing. Now let's go on over here and learn how to get it in the hole. Right, yep. exactly. I mean, how you how you arrive at your destination, for lack of better words, it really is irrelevant. It's 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 you know, arriving there in the least amount of strokes uh, yeah. as possible is really what the objective is. And so you know whether it, you know, you put a big old bend on the ball or or you know duck hook your way down the fairway. If it gets in the hole and you you know get a par or better, then you're sitting pretty. And and yeah. that's what I've always said to people as well. You know, I'll get people come and say, "Gosh, you know, I got this big old, you know, chicken wing." And and I and I say, "Well, let's you know, let's take a look." And and you know, there's certain situations where you, you do have to make some corrections if it's impeding their ability to make good contact with the ball. Of course, you have to do that. But if if their arms you know flapping and and uh, yeah. but the ball's yeah. going 150 yards down the fairway straight, then I'm not going to make a lot of changes. Um, you know, because most people don't want to especially as they get older, most people at that point when they start getting their 40s, 50s and beyond, they don't want to reconstruct or re, you know, reinvent the wheel. So, you know, why dissect somebody's swing to a point? Now, if they want to play, um, you know, at a much higher uh, competitiveness, then certainly there might be some adjustments that need to be made. But, but if it's working for them, I say have at it. Um, yeah. I'm going to roll into the – it's sort of into the next question because it kind of goes hand-in-hand hand with this. Um, Lord, I'm going to go with you next. Uh, yeah. How do we get them to adjust to some of these physical limitations? What do we do? Um, you know, we can, as we just talked about here, we can sort of let them uh, deal with it. But what do we do if they've got physical limitations? And I'm not referring to a physical handicap. I'm just saying right. that they've got limitations. Yeah. Maybe maybe they don't, uh, you know, can't swing the club uh, all the way back. Mm-hmm. How do we make adjustments? Right. Well. You know, and, and everything that we've all been talking about here, um, 
varies a lot with the type of player you're dealing with. You know, whether you're dealing with a beginner, whether you're dealing with, um, you know, somebody that's a high school player, whether you're dealing with somebody that's a, you know, a woman that's uh, in her late 50s, mid 50s, she's going to retire to uh, Florida with her husband, wants to learn how to play golf. She's never done an athletic thing in her life. So all this stuff is going to be adjusted, you know, depending on, on the person. Now, as far as mm-hmm. people with, with, you know, physical limitations, I deal with a lot of beginners. I'm at the, right. one of the busiest driving ranges in America, um, downtown Chicago. Actually, I'm sitting in the parking lot right now. Um, I get a lot of people here. I get a lot of um, young urban professionals that are taking their, you know, their first big job and they want to go on golf outings because their financial mm-hmm. firm they're working for has golf outings. And I get, I get a lot of older people that are going to retire down to Florida and they want to learn how to play golf. And I get these women that want to play golf with their girlfriends, you know, so, yep. um, you have to make some adjustments and, and all the teacher professionals that I know that I really associate with, we've all got a lot of tools in our bag, you know, um, I'm not going to, you know, work with a, um, again, we'll go back to uh, that 50 year old woman, 60 year old woman, you know, who has, um, you know, uh, never done an athletic thing in her life. Um, maybe a tad overweight of uh, the guy is tad overweight or whatever. And, I'm not going to try to, to get them to be in positions like a, um, you know, like a Jamie Slikowski. You know? right. I'm, going to, I'm going to say, hey, let's get your weight forward on your left foot there. We're going to put a little stack and tilt into you, you know, with those, those arms back there, keep your weight there. Let's go like that. You know, so it, it varies with the person that you're with as far as, um, as far as what are they going to be able to do because of their body structures. It's, it's just that that's the whole key to teaching. You know, and I've, I've had this conversation with, um, you know, a lot of guys, Joe Mayo, a few other people and all that stuff. And you sit there and you say, you get these people on the forums who have never taught in their lives or right. very rarely ever do any lessons. And they're sitting there criticizing golf instructors. And I tell people, I says, you know, until you've done a thousand lessons with a thousand different body styles, a thousand different minds, a thousand different ages, I don't want to talk to you about what you, yeah. what I should be doing in golf instruction, you know, because right. every day you're sitting there on the range and the person that shows up, you may never have seen this person before is completely different than the person you just got them working with 15 minutes ago, 20 minutes ago. So you right. have to be able to adapt your teaching style. You have to have a lot of tools in your bag and you have to be able to pull those tools out for that person and maybe not use those tools for somebody else. Right. Well, well said, you know, uh, Tony, hey, before I get, yeah, Tony, before I get to you, um, it reminds me of, of kind of a, a humorous story. Uh, I have a friend of mine that used to work at uh, one of the Ford plants, and uh, along the same lines, they used to get a lot of the uh, – and again, I don't want to – let me just preface this. I don't want to say that I'm knocking education, but they would uh, get a lot of young guns, if you will, that would come fresh out of college uh, and put them into a supervisory role and put them in front of you know, some of these uh, older seasoned guys on the, on the line. Yeah. Um, you know, they've had 30, you know, 20, 30 years experience on, on how the line actually works. And these guys are all coming in with all these different theories of what should be done and how to do it. And it's the same principle there. And, and again, I'm not yeah. knocking somebody's suggestion, but you're exactly right. I mean, until you sort of walk the walk, uh, you know, be careful of, you know, what you're talking yeah. about. And, and you're exactly right. 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 Um, you know, Tony, just to, to uh, sort of add on to what, uh, what both Clint and, and Lloyd uh, were talking about here, um, obviously, there are a lot of um, different swings out there, a lot of different styles. Um, everybody 
you know, has different physical limitations. Um, Lloyd raised a very interesting point. Rather than trying to alter and, and reinvent the wheel with, with a student that maybe has some different challenges, um, he's willing to adapt and, and make some modest changes in order to help them achieve the same goal. Is that sort of along the lines uh, of the thinking that you uh, feel as well? Sure. Uh, I, I have a quote that I tell my, all my students, and I think I'm going to turn it into a bumper sticker. It's, uh, <laughs> quote is, it's not a postcard, but it's a scorecard. So it doesn't mm-hmm. matter how it looks, right? It doesn't yeah. matter where the ball goes, as long as it's functional and repeatable. Now, the problem is, is those two last words, functional and repeatable, most people don't have that. So how can I take what they do and make it a little bit more functional with less work and create more power? And that's probably because people don't use their bodies as much. Um, So we just do some basic stretching, basic work, um, teaching them, instructing them, helping them educate themselves on what creates the power in their golf swing. How do they promote that power? How do they, again, create those good misses? You know, it's not about those great shots again. And it's just, like I said, it's education, keeping things simple, explaining that it's all about club face. Very little is passed right. anymore because of the glorious track man that's helped us I see this. So it's all about club face. Keep that club face squared impact. You can't really go wrong at that point. I don't care if you're coming outside in or inside out. It's going to go pretty straight, and that's the goal. And I've been very fortunate to play around with golf with Lee Trevino and Gary Player, who I, I would consider two of the better golfers of the previous two generations. And right, right. You take a look at their swings, they're still great ball strikers at their age. So it doesn't really matter about strength and flexibility. Obviously, we have Gary Player, who is very strong, very flexible. Lee Trevino, probably not the same type of build, but he still can actually strike the golf ball pretty well, and he's in his mid-70s. Yeah. So we just look at this. They're, they're the result of the phenoms, right? And the problem is that the game has changed dramatically in the last 20 to 30 years, dramatically, where everybody had to adapt to this modern-day swing because that's what is the most repeatable. And you take a look at the body styles that morph into the most reputable styles. They're all kind of the tall, lanky kids that come out. That's the only yeah, one that yeah. can kind of swing this way. So we're training our students to say, well, this is why they need to swing this way. But that's not true. If you go back 25, 30 years ago, you saw you could recognize anybody from the fairway because they all had their weird little swing now, but that worked. But nowadays it's hard to recognize anybody from the fairway because they all swing the same. So we just have to stay one move ahead, and it's all about that education making sure we set up our students for success purely by education. Well said. Um, You know, speaking of which, going back 20 or 30 years ago, uh, you know, talk about tall and lanky. uh, In his day, Al Guyberger was one that comes to mind. Um, He was very, very tall, very thin, um, you know, and and had a very um, upright swing by by, uh, today's standards. So uh, that just goes to to prove your point, Tony, is everybody's different. And, and, uh, again, you know, we, we have to sort of adjust to, to the individual and not try to, uh, you know, rope everybody into to one uh, one form, if you will. All right, I want to uh, ask a question of, of all of you. And, uh, and Tony, I think I'm going to start with you this time, uh, even though I know you just finished here. Uh, and then I'll go to Clint, and then and Lloyd, I'll let you wrap up this question. But yep. um, the question is this, um, Tony, uh, course attitude uh, affects course results. Is that a true or false statement? And if so, why? Absolutely. You know, for the most part, I would think, I have a question. I ask my students, say, which is more important out of 100%? Is it is it physical or mental? And most of the people say it's like 100% mental or 1,000% mental, whatever their response is. And I tell them, you know, right. I think it's 100% mental and 100% physical. I know that doesn't add up, but if you take a look at what feeds what, 
you know, the subconscious and the conscious feed the, the product of your, of your being and your machine. <clears throat> so if you are thinking bad, you're going to swing bad. And when you swing bad, you're going to think bad. And it just keeps reflecting on each other, and all of a sudden you dig a deep hole, you spiral out of control. And it's very hard to come out of that. Once you're down there, it's really hard. But if you start thinking positive, you start reflecting that thoughts, and you start becoming yep. more forgiving. And one of the things I, I do with my students is I go and play golf with them every so often, and instead of keeping score, they can keep score. I keep how many times I hear a negative thought about themselves. Yep. And most, most of the time, there's more negative thoughts than there were strokes. If they shoot 110, <laughs> there's 150 <laughs> negative thoughts, right? So, and yeah. I say, well, what's the correlation with that, right? The lower you shoot, the less negative thoughts. So let's just cut this down, and I guarantee you it will reflect it. So that's, you know, short and sweet, that's pretty much the answer. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you're exactly right. And I knew you were going to say that uh, in your uh, in your comment. I knew that you were going to uh, mention that the uh, that their negative thoughts and comments would would outweigh the the strokes. Um, Clint, course attitude affects uh, course results. Uh, would you agree? Well, that's a tr- and well, and also, yeah. yeah. Let me just add in there, uh, just mm-hmm. to sort of clarify something first that, that Tony had said about uh, mental. Uh, and physical. I, I agree with that. I think it's a combination of both, but I think you also have to factor in, which is slightly different, is the emotional aspect as well. They're oh, emotional. Uh, and, and, you know, I think yeah. people have to understand that their emotion plays a big role. Um, so go yeah. ahead, Clint. Your yeah, take you, just, on that. you just stole my answer. Um, oh, hey. <laughs> but, um, but just for one point, Tony was making the point about the, the swings are all the same now, but isn't it, isn't it strange that the scores haven't come down? Absolutely, yeah. and you know why? Because it's the third shot, right? Yeah, it's the third shot. Yeah, there you go. I'm just, you know, just, I'm just pounding the idea, guys. I'm just the only thing I got. Okay, it's the only thing I got. No, Welcome I do Clint's shameless plug of the art. There you go. The only thing I got. Hey, but honestly, God, you know, Tony's right. It's physical. Obviously, it's a physical. It's a mental game. But as far as on course. Mental is just knowing where you're at and what you want to do. But the emotional side and emotional state of a player. It's, it's obvious. You saw it just last night again. We come back to the ladies' deal. The emotions, nerves, nervousness is an emotion. It's not mental. It's an emotion. So if you can control your emotions, obviously then you can control the level of of uh, tension and all kind of different things through your body, which is going to make you swing smoother, easier, faster, or can't swing at all. So we always try to get a person to have the emotional swing. Whenever you hit a great shot, be excited about it, but bring it back to neutral as quick as you can. If you hit a bad shot, be upset about it if you want to be. If that's how you how you clear your mind, go ahead, but bring it back to neutral before you tee it up the next, you know, hit the next ball. Right. So right. we, I like the idea of let those emotions flow, but bring it back to neutral. Yeah, you know, I, I agree you hit with that. that next shot. You um, got to let it flow. You got to get excited, and you know sometimes. Getting a little angry with yourself might just kind of clear the air, and you can go on and play some golf. Yep. Yeah, exactly. And and again, uh, as Tony put it, hundred uh, percent right, um, Clint, as always. And and uh, thank you for that shameless plug. I appreciate that. And I'm sure that <laughs> the guys at the R three. Hey, it's not a plug. It's all I got. You know, I mean, I'm simple-minded. Fellow. Yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> Lloyd, just a, a quick wrap up of that. I mean, I think the guys pretty yeah. much covered that. But anything you want to add to, uh, on that? Well, I agree. I agree with uh, Tony as far as the emotion. You know, it's an emotional game. Um, I mean, we take a look back at the greatest golfers of all time, the Bobby Joneses, the Ben Hogans, 
you know, Jack Nicholas, he was the best at it. Tiger Woods has been the, one of the best at it. Is they let it go. They shut the yeah. door, like Nicholas said. As soon as that hole is over with, I shut the door. That's in the past. And I try to get my, my students to to get that type of uh, being in the now, being in the now. The past is the past, and the future hasn't happened. You have nothing – you can't control either one of those two, but what you can control is right now. And when you let your emotions get away from you, you've now taken away from your – uh, course strategy. You may not be thinking right. You may be saying, hey, you know what, I'm going to rip this driver down there when you should have just taken a hybrid and kept it short of the water or just things like that. So, yeah, uh, letting your emotions get away with it takes away from the mental um, ability to play the course or play that hole that's being presented to you right now. That other stuff happened in the past. The future doesn't happen. The future never comes. So, right. That's my exactly. Well said as well. Good, good answers, guys. Um, okay, this last question, uh, there's actually several components to it, so we're going to have to really uh, move on this just because of time, okay? Um, yep. But this one here it talks about, and we've talked a little bit about the zone before, but I've got some specifics that I want to address on this, uh, and, and this is sort of entitled Entering the Zone. And, and one of the first um, topics and, and uh Clint, I'm going to start back with you, if that's okay. okay sure. um, high self-confidence is, is point number one. Obviously, uh, being confident is important, um, but how does it play into entering the zone? How does self-confidence play in, in somebody that wants to sort of fall into that zone? Well, I, I think a person that, that is going to, like say, you want to play in the zone, you want to find that, that free-flowing attitude and, and golf swing you know where you're you're in the, the the now, like you say, and is it? I think that self confidence or almost a slight level of being a little cocky, maybe. Um, mm-hmm. You have that level of expectations. You're going to get in the zone. It's not yeah. that that am I going to get in it today? You're expecting to be in it. Right. Uh, you go out there with the purpose of finding that zone to get in it. You know, I, I think that. We've all had the case where you kind of fall into it, you know, and have that phenomenal round of golf that you really don't know how you did it, but you did, yeah. Yeah. you know. <laughs> um, but I think that the, the real players of this game fully expect to be there every time they go out to play. Right. Yeah, right, exactly. That, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. Tiger, Tiger is a perfect example of that. Tiger, every time he went out there, when he was in his heyday, boy, he expected to win. He didn't. Yeah, that, right. that was it. I'm, I'm going out there. I'm going to hit these shots. I mean, the, the shots that he, that he's hit in his, in his, in his career are just phenomenal. Yeah, that's yeah. confidence to do it. Yeah, yeah and, there, and that there really, was no level that it wasn't going to happen. This was going to happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and it, and yeah. that's really why he was um, had the confidence that he did is because he knew right. what his abilities were. Um, he knew what he could and couldn't do, and he stuck with what he knew he could do. And really, you know, sort of shelved what he knew he couldn't do, which wasn't really a lot, but I'm sure there yeah. were a few things in there. But um, Lloyd, I'm going to move to number two on you because, yeah. I, I, again, yep. you know, that I don't want to get repetitive with this. Um, number two is is immersing yourself in the task. So obviously, um, you know, that's the ability to obviously be able to focus on a task necessary for for peak performance. Um, you know, you're on that shot. Uh, again, just to be in the zone, you've got to be able to to focus on the task at hand. How important is that? Oh, it's, it's extremely important, and it goes back to what we were talking about, you know, the, the question before this 
is that um, to have a clear mind to look. I mean, we could we could put a ball, you know, 20 yards or 20 feet away from a green in the rough, and have Phil Mickelson, Jack Nicholas, uh, Ben Hogan, and Tiger Woods hit a shot, and all four of them may hit a completely different shot with different trajectory and a different club. And so when you have that shot ahead of you, you have to have a clear mind so you can make the right decisions. And, and the right decision may be, you know, hey, listen, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a, a mid-flight trajectory for this little pitch shot, or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bump and run this sucker up there. And so uh, having the task at hand and being in the now, being in the present, allows you to think clearly of your different options that you have. There are so many different options in the short game uh, when you're around the green or in the or anywhere. I mean, even in, in the trees, you may have an option of a high fade versus a low right. uh, little draw through the trees. So uh, being a, being being in the moment and being clear-minded, so you can go through all your different options. And it goes back to what we first started talking about. The very first question is: until you go out and play all the time. I mean, you could play one hole a thousand times and never play it the exact same way in a thousand different ways. Right. And so until you have all these different little memories or feelings or pictures in your head of what you've done in the past, um, you're, you're losing out on different ideas. And so it's, it goes back to even with Fred Schumacher, you know, in his book mm-hmm. about um, – you know, extraordinary golf is just to is there's an art form. There's an art form to this, and and to to get yourself to look at different options that you have available. And if your mind is is wandering or you're still worried about the last hole, you don't see those options. Right. Well said, um, Tony. And this brings us right to to point number three, which is narrow focus of attention. Uh, and there's really a, a narrow focus as well as a, a broad focus. Uh, narrow being obviously uh, you know the task at hand, um, maybe a specific hole, and obviously uh, a more broad focus might be uh, as an example, um, you know various pieces of information that help make up uh, your decision, like club selection. Maybe there's uh, wind factoring in there. Um, narrow focus of attention, the importance of that, uh, Tony. Sure, you know it, it kind of goes back to the whole theme of narrow your focus in entirety. I mean you have to trust your body, you have to trust all the work that you've put into it. And the more you can focus on the actual target at hand and task at hand, the less you'll focus on your body. And, you know, I've, I've probably been fortunate to play in the zone a couple of times in my life, and people ask me, how, how did that go? And I says, I don't remember. I don't remember much around because you're just, you're just <laughs> yeah. like walking on a cloud. And, you know, my intention is to hit a target. You know, a golf is target-oriented. So the, the smaller that target can become, the more you focus on that target and the more you just trust your body's instinct to get the ball to the target naturally based on all the, the, imp- the input that you, that you put into your body like a little computer. So, you know, there, there's, there's a great story for Wilshire Country Club, which I got to play a couple of times, and I believe it was the 12th or 13th hole, um, and one of the caddies was like, you see that Hollywood sign over there? And you just got to aim for the Hollywood sign. And we started talking about, uh, a caddy of Ben Hogan said the exact same thing to Mr. Hogan and said, Mr. Hogan, see that Hollywood sign on the back? Just aim for the Hollywood sign. And it's, it's small anyway. And, and Mr. Hogan said, well, which letter? You know, so he was, <laughs> he's like, well, which letter do you want me to aim at? So I tell my students, you know, I'm looking at a leaf on a tree about 400 yards away. Yep. And they're looking yep. at me like yep. crazy. It's like, well, I'm trying to pinpoint to the leaf because when I miss the leaf, 
if I miss it three leaves over, it's a lot of difference than missing yep. it three trees over. So right. that's the ideology for me, really trying to specify the details because then it just leaves your body to be free to just do what it has based on all the input that you put into it. Great right. answer. I, lo- I like that. Um, Clint, we're back to you. Uh, number four, of course, is, uh, and I know you'll be good on this one, automatic and effortless, effortless execution. Boy, don't we all want that. We want to be in the zone. We want it to feel, uh, we want it to feel effortless in the, in the execution of our shots, but also uh, we want it to be automatic, and that's really what we strive for. Oh, uh, absolutely. I mean, and, you know, it, it's difficult for a person that that's, when you're working with somebody, particularly at this level, of what you're talking about, you're beyond the beginner. You're you're into more of the right. elite player, mm-hmm. and so it, I've always related that that attitude about trying to teach somebody how to ride a bicycle. You you, you can't teach somebody how to ride a bicycle; they have to experience it. You right, can help right. them learn how, but they've got to feel the movement and the balance. And golf is a lot like that. And one of the techniques that I use to help them get that feel is I ask them to make as easy a golf swing as they can make, usually with an 8-iron. And most of the time it goes about 110 yards. And I ask them, I say, well, where did that yardage come from? Nobody ever knows. But I say, <laughs> you know, what if, what if we drop a ball on the sidewalk? What's it going to do? Well, it'll bounce. Well, where did the bounce come from? You know, all kind of answers. But the bounce was built mm-hmm. into the ball. Right. And so is that 110 yards. So if you want to hit your 8-iron 150 yards and you got 110 built in, how much do you as a player have to contribute? 40 right. yards, obviously. Right. So I get them to try to feel adding 40 yards. Not swinging for the 150, just swing for the 40 yards. Yep. Yep, and yep. then they can maybe get a feel for that because it's 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 complicated and obviously difficult for a player to stay on that because they get anxious and want to hit it harder, get it quicker, whatever. But those little techniques I've always found was a way of helping a person experience what that effortless <coughs> swing felt like that would, you know, and they hit that first one out there and it goes 145, 50 yards ago. Wow. I didn't expect it to go that far. Yeah, I didn't know I had it in me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, all they got to add is forty yards. Yeah, yeah, and, and I, that makes that makes it so much simpler too. If, if you put it in that perspective, Clint, because um, you know it, it relieves uh, alleviates a lot of the pressure on the player. All, um, yeah, absolutely. Right? Yeah, I mean that's why we pay four hundred and five hundred dollars for a driver, isn't it? Supposed to sling it out there for you. Yep. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> About yeah, about two hundred yards of it, then the rest of it's on you, right? Um, well, I'll, well, I'll take two hundred and I'll put a hundred in. I, I can buy that. Yeah, yeah, that, buy that. That's exactly right. Um, yeah. Number five, obviously, we we talked about this emotional control, and and I, I I don't think we need to bring that one again, but that that would be number five. Um, number six, of course, uh, and and I'll let you guys just sort of have at it, but enjoyment. Um, you know, we want to we want to have, you know, when you're out there, whether you're in out of the zone, it doesn't really matter. Um, we want people to have fun, and I think really right. the only way to be able to do that um, is is to really sort of leave the baggage, if you will, other than the bag that's carrying your club, um, mm-hmm. you know, back at the clubhouse. I think too many people take their anxieties, the stresses of the day, the stresses of you know from 
the last round, I think as Tony had mentioned earlier, you know, a bad hole uh, or a couple of holes and bring it with them through the rest of the round. And I think, you know, go out there and have fun. First and foremost, have fun out in the golf course. You know, whether you hit a big old slice uh, every other shot really is irrelevant. There's a time and a place to work on those things, and it's not on the golf course. It's on, on the tee. So um, that would be my sort of take on, on enjoyment. Um, any, anybody else want to chime in? Yeah, let me let me chime in a little bit on this. Um, and I learned this from, uh, uh, actually, again, Fred Schumacher years and years ago. And one of the things that I do with some of my students, I'll have them fill out on a piece of paper, and I'll say, you know, uh, why do you play um, golf? Why do you want – what is it that you're looking for in mm-hmm. in these lessons and all that? And with a lot of the men, you'll get all these – very aggressive answers. Oh, I want to beat my best buddy. Oh, I'm, I want to, I want to, uh, you know, my boss, I want to, I want to beat my boss. I want to hit a 300 yards. I want to do this and all that. And then I'll have um, them say, what is it that you like about playing golf? And then you get all these other different answers. I love being out in nature. I love the walk. I love the exercise. I like being with my, with my buddy and talking for four hours. I love spending time with my husband for nine holes. It's the only time we ever get the chance to talk. And so you look at the two different things and you say, what is the reason why you're playing golf is because mm-hmm. you enjoy it. Okay. The other parts of it are just, are, are, are things that really don't take, don't add to your enjoyment of it. Now, are you going to enjoy beating your best buddy? Sure. But why are you out there with your best buddy? You're not out there yeah. necessarily to beat him. You're out there because yeah. he's your best buddy. Right. And so I think when, when students start to really take a look at that and say, you know, uh, you do a walk with them on a, on, right at daybreak, right when the sun's coming up, and you pick out a beautiful hole and you have them meet you there, and you just walk that hole. And you walk with them and you show them, look at the shadows. Look at how the sun is just rising over the mound by the hole back there. Or golf in Chicago in the fall when the shadows are out and the and leaves are all changing colors and the, and the beauty of the golf course. And, and you just walk with them and say, this is what golf is about here. This is what right. it's about. And if you're going to ruin this four-hour walk, you know, like John Fine says in his book, uh, but if you're going to ruin this four-hour walk being angry or being um, – um, and not appreciating this, then then you're really not playing golf. You're you're, right. you're playing some other game that I don't really know, you know. But once you start to become part of the nature, and I don't want to get too zen-like, but once you start becoming part of the golf course and start enjoying it, then when you hit that funny shot, you laugh about it and you go, wow, I've never been over here. Wow, this is a great view from the trees. I've never <laughs> been in these trees before. I've never noticed how this, the view of this green looks so good over here. You know? right. So that's my take on it. Exactly. Um, the last one, of course, is, is uh, a clear mind, and, and I think that's you know, self-explanatory. I mean, you want to have a clear picture of what it is that you want to do and, and how you're going to go about doing it. And, uh, and that's really what you guys are for and, and, and I'm for out there to help these people to, to formulate a game plan, if you will, and then let them go out and execute that plan. Uh, I'm going to just give you guys a, a quick moment here just to let everybody know how they can reach out to you if they want to. And, and Tony, I'm going to let you, since uh, uh, you're uh, newer to the panel on that, I'm going to give you an opportunity to let uh, the folks know where they can reach out to you if they want. Sure. If you want to email me, it's T-O-N-Y-B at PGA Learning Centers with an S dot com. 
Uh, we just opened our 14th site nationwide, and we're looking to open many more. If you need more information on where they can uh, access one of these sites, it's pjlearningcenters.com. Perfect. And what you got lots uh, lots cooking in the next uh, next few weeks? What what's happening? What, you just opened one, didn't you? Just open a PGA Learning Center here recently. I think you said the last time you were on. Yeah, we uh, opened seven of them in uh, Texas, uh, Denver. Right. And so we're, we're continually opening them. I think we're still in our trial phase. This is the last year of our trial phase, uh, but it looks like it's picking up and going. So we expect to have over 100 by the end of next year. Wow. Wow, that's fantastic. Um, Lloyd, uh, how about yourself? Where, uh, where can um, folks reach out? Yeah, my personal website, which is still in construction, but it's still, I mean, it's there, is LloydHigleyGolf.com. You can also find me at Chicagoland Golf Academy. ChicagolandGolfAcademy.com, and uh, my email is just LloydHigley at gmail.com. Perfect. Um, are you working on a quick thing before Clint? I let you wrap it up. Um, Lloyd, are you working on your site yourself, or have you got somebody? No, I've got somebody. Okay. Yeah. I was just curious. Yeah. Um, Clint, how can the folks uh, reach out to you? Just like we always have, and uh, send me an email <laughs> to. Uh, yeah, same old stuff, guys. Uh, ClintGoff001 at yahoo.com. I'd be more than happy to hear from anybody and, and encourage, you know, if it's getting summertime, get out yep. and play some golf, take a kid with you. Yep. Yeah, and watch, watch the highlights uh, from uh, this past uh, NCAA uh, Women's Championship. I'm sure they'll be playing that again on the Golf Channel. You want to see some oh, great action. Phenomenal. Yeah, the guys it, it was phenomenal. The guys are coming up tomorrow. That's yep. right. So it'll be good just in time for Memorial Weekend. Um, yep. guys, as always, uh, very appreciative of you giving of your time. Thank you for joining me tonight on the coaches corner panel. I had a fun, had a good time. I enjoyed it. Um, and uh, again, thank you as always for giving of your time and, and have a great Memorial weekend. Everybody have a safe and happy holiday. Yep. You too, guys. Uh, thanks, thanks guys. guys. You as well. Thank See you. ya. Yep. Right. Bye-bye. Bye. All right. That, that was my very special guests on, uh, the coaches corner panel, Clint Wright, uh, Lloyd Higley, and Anthony Brooks, and I believe I just cut off my next guest. I apologize. Uh, John Hughes is going to be joining me here, and I think he was actually waiting in the wings, and uh, I think I accidentally cut him off. So, John, I'm sure if you're tuning in, uh, I'll, I'll watch for you to come back on. But uh, great discussion tonight. I wanted to you know, cover some areas that, that really we don't talk about too much, and, and here's, here's John. My, I have to apologize when he comes on air here, but... Um, you know, always try to, to mix it up on the on the coaches uh, corner panel, and uh, had a great discussion tonight. But uh, we're going to continue the discussion. Uh, actually, a re- with a regular has uh, been on the show many many times. Uh, I think he and Clint are, are in battle for who's been on the most number of times. Uh, of course, I'm talking about my good friend uh, John Hughes, and he's a PGA Master Professional. He's also the vice president of the North Florida PGA section, and uh, the recipient of the 2013 PG. A of America Horton Smith Award, uh, as well as recognized as one of the top 30 instructors by Golf Tips Magazine. Uh, my good friend and hopefully uh, still friend, uh, I apologize for cutting you off, John. Uh, welcome with me, Mr. John Hughes. John. It hey, happens, John, how are you? Yeah. It happens, no problem. <laughs> it's my old age, I think. <laughs> it's uh, it's creeping up on me. My apologies. Um John, I, I wanted to, uh, to to have you back on uh, separate from the panel. I mean, you're, you're on usually uh, at least uh, once a month uh, on, on the panel discussions. I always appreciate your 
your thoughts and input uh, input into uh, the discussions. Um, but I wanted to have you on separately for a reason. Uh, you obviously, as we, we've talked about in, in uh, private conversations, obviously have a wealth of, of information and uh, uh, of knowledge about the game. You've been around the business for, for what, uh, 30 plus years, I believe. And, uh, you know, you just, uh, somebody that I feel that the listeners can, can benefit from, from, your, uh, from your knowledge, and I enjoy listening to as well. And when we talked actually here just recently, in fact, last night we talked, uh, for a little bit. Uh, there were a couple things that, that we're going to discuss here tonight. And the first one, we're going to talk about something that you've been working on here for the last little bit uh, called the GRIP Project. First off, tell us a little bit, what is the GRIP pro- Project? How did you sort of come together uh, with that thought and idea? And then uh, some of the things that you're doing with it. Well, thanks for the compliments. I appreciate that. I appreciate the opportunity to spend an hour. I think we did this back in October, November during Coach's Corner when when Mm -hmm. some people had some things pop up late and we had a really good Coach's Corner, so I'm looking forward to this evening with this. Uh, I had mentioned back last year I was working on what I call the GRIP project, and what it basically Mm -hmm. boils down to is golf instructors for the general public, uh, for your general public's knowledge, golf instructors go through schools, at least through the PGA they do and some of the other uh, organizations that certify golf professionals. And a lot of the things we're taught for a long time weren't necessarily scientifically based. And one of those, at least in my mind, was grip size and what grip size does and doesn't do to the particular ball flight or swing dynamics. Mm-hmm. So last year, just more as a let me get out and expose myself and see what I can learn number one. Number two, see what I can validate with some partners. And then three, not necessarily demystify or or uh, prove something wrong or right, but just try to put some two and two together. For lack of a better way of saying it, I decided let, let's go out and test what grips actually do. So I went to two of my partners, Golf Pride, Charlie Fisher, who's the National Distribution Manager for Golf Pride Eaton, Mm. And several people, including Henry Johnson, the CEO and inventor of FlightScope, got behind this with me, as well as Cobra Golf supplied some some uh, demo clubs, I guess is the best way to put it. And what I did was decide, okay, what do I want to test and how do I want to go about testing it? And last summer I decided the easiest thing to do is let's just test jumbo grips. It seemed to be... They're all in vogue, whether it's putters or uh, Jumbo Max with uh, DeChambeau now, who uses those. So it was right. sort of all coming into play, and I decided, let's go out and see what this will do. So uh, I came up with some criteria, obviously not scientifically foolproof because there's some variables I just was not prepared to take care of, such as slipping grips on and off someone's clubs. Yeah. About about a hundred participants in this. It was really easy. Hit ten shots with your seven iron. Let me find a uh, a Cobra club that most closely resembles the club that you hit with a jumbo grip on it, and let's hit ten shots. And we're going to let Flight Scope do the work for us and give us subjective feedback. And did that throughout the summer, and came up with some interesting yet not scientifically proven. Uh, conclusions, I guess, is the best way to say it. Flight Scope isn't necessarily willing to jump on board with the conclusions yet, 
and our plan over a five-year period is to get all the variables ironed out so we can be more conclusive about this. Uh, The grip manufacturers do this type of research, but they don't release it for a lot of proprietary reasons other than what the general public would think. It probably has more to do with compounds and structures and uh, how fibers are put together, not necessarily the size of the grip. So they'll do this type of testing in their own testing facility but never release this info. So that's where I got Charlie's blessing from Golf Pride to say go out and find out what you can find out. And it was a lot of fun. It took place between the 1st of June and the 15th of September last year, various different places in the Florida area as well as South Carolina and North Carolina. I tried to get a good cross-section of people and found out some interesting things. What uh, what were some of the findings that, that you uh, came with so far? I mean, I know you're still going through the, the project, if you will, but what were some of the findings um, that you found of interest uh, that maybe not really debunk but, but sort of go against what, what the general thinking is? Right, and, and I'm not trying to play myth, myth busters here so much as right. it was more let me, let me confirm what I was always taught X amount of years ago. And I'm going to speak in generalities. I don't want sure. anyone in the audience to feel like, hey, this is whatever he says is gold and i got to go do it. Um, yeah. Because even though I, I have a decent cross-section, it's still not of scientific evidence yet. And I'm, I'm going to repeat this later on. But in a nutshell, in a general nutshell, if you're a male golfer, 15 handicap, a female golfer, 20 handicap, or worse, by placing a jumbo grip in somebody's hand, it actually, on average, increased the yardage. Someone hit a seven iron, a uh, male about eight yards, a female about four and a half. But more hmm. importantly to me, I saw what I call the cone of dispersion, that angle in which your far rights are going to go right and your far lefts are going to go left. If you imagine that as a as a pie, a piece of pie, that right. angle reduced itself. It's called a it's called a variance, and that variance came down by as much as eighteen percent. So what that wow. really meant was fifteen or or worse. You're going to hit it longer simply because you're going to be more accurate. You're taking curvature out of the ball. Uh, you're potentially hitting it more on the sweet spot. Those numbers weren't quite as conclusive as the yardage and the variance, and that's where the more scientific study needs to take place in the future. Uh, If you're 14 to, say, 10, there was some increase in yardage, but that variance left to right got even tighter again. And then from a single digit and on down, what we had, what I sort of saw, I had two or three mini tour players, one PGA tour player participate in this, a couple of Symmetra tour players, uh, some good amateurs. Distance was negligible either way. Uh, if there right. was any kind of trend, maybe there was a little bit of loss. And arguably, these people are already accurate, or they became even more accurate, which was hmm. pretty astonishing. Uh, <clears throat> And their variances are pretty tight to begin with. And the only right. conclusion I can make out of this, and I have to hand it to a friend of mine, Eric Alpenfels. He's the director of instruction at Pinehurst Resort. 
and he did a similar type of study, uh, 2000, 2001, in conjunction with Golf Magazine. And his one conclusive theory was grip size did not matter. It was the comfortability of the grip that mm-hmm. mattered. And if someone could securely put the grip in their hands without over-tightening or being ultra-loose, that was going to provide the most optimal swing conditions and in turn, ball flight conditions, flight scope, track man, that stuff wasn't out there at that point. So, Eric, I can I, I consulted Eric with this, and he was sort of curious to hear what had had to be done with this. And I shared some of the findings, and it's pretty pretty much along the same line that he saw. But seeing it number wise from a deviation from that variance standpoint of view was was sort of eye opening. And what I've done with this going forward, and and I will go on record by stating I'm a big alignment person, period. If you can't align yourself, if you can't aim properly to a target, you can't hit the target, period. And and the numbers are there. The numbers are there scientifically through flight scope and track man and the other ball flight radar and optical systems. So everybody's always said, you know, the only connection you have, Hogan, Nicholas, Palmer, I can go on and on and on, is the grip, and it's that's still true. But with alignment, your grip can change. But what's right. the neat about doing this project, this little research, is size does matter to a certain extent, but it only matters to the point of comfortability. Uh, after going through the test, I had a 10-question survey that each <clears throat> participant went through, and the ones that did not see any increase, whether they were an outlier or they were in that scrap, that single-digit handicap or better, right? they didn't really find comfort in that bigger grip. But when we did see a decrease in variance or deviation of the shot pattern, when we saw more distance gain, no matter how much more distance it was, everybody to a person said that the grip was much more comfortable. Hmm. So there is some correlation there. Let me ask you um, with, with the participants, and I don't know whether this uh, came up in the, in the discussions or not. Um, in, in addition to the physical um, differences and, and let's, let's take out the, the, the lower handicap players, because obviously there wasn't a, a big variance there and, and understandably so, but with some of your, your um, participants that did, see a noticeable um was in addition to comfort because obviously with a smaller grip uh, especially if, if you've got larger hands um a lot of times players will will f- you know feel that the club uh twist or, or turn uh within their hands they're not getting a like you say they're not getting a comfortable grip uh, on the grip let's say um was that something that you heard commented about at all from any of the participants that they they noticed with this larger grip that they, they weren't getting that same slippage? To a certain extent, yes. And we did measure uh, hand size and glove size as well as the current grip that they were playing on their golf club. So we had some comparison data to look at. And to a person, the bigger grip did seem to be more comfortable. They felt like they were using less tension. They were using right. less pressure. Uh, these were all new grips. So one of the very variables that I would never be able to control is somebody coming with a dry rotted grip versus a brand right. new one. 
And there's obvious answers to those questions. Yeah, I, sure. I should have regripped three years ago or ten years ago <laughs> or whatever the case may be. Uh, but as far as hand size goes, uh, I, and Ted, you probably do this as an instructor, you're constantly looking to give all your clients an edge somehow. So mm-hmm. when you're looking at a bigger hand, it's pretty obvious. It's a no-brainer. Hey, let's get a little bit bigger grip in your hand. But sure. it isn't necessarily always the case. Uh, throughout the years that I've been trying to constantly learn, I had a friend at Hilton Head who was six foot five, and his mm-hmm. hands took up the entire grip area. It, wow. just, it was His hands were massive, but he didn't use a big grip. He was able to literally spread his fingers out and control the entire length of the grip. And when he went to a bigger grip, because he was a better player, it's not necessarily he didn't see the rate of closure of the club head slow down or speed up. He just felt like he'd lost control of the golf club, that he wasn't gripping down hard with a normal size grip. He just felt like with a big grip, he didn't have full control over it. And then it works, most of the time it works the other way, where if you have a bigger hand, you put a little bit bigger grip in there, you don't have to have as tense or as tight as a grip. And that's the real key as everybody should know that and earlier in the, I was paying attention earlier in the show and you were mm-hmm. talking about being tension free and so forth. Tension starts in the hands, period. Yeah. If if you were to stand just relaxed at your side and, and tense up a fist on one side of your body, left or right hand, you'll notice that tension radiate through your arm, into your shoulder, into your neck, and down your torso. Uh, that's that's what can prevent some of what golfers experience. So it, it wasn't surprising for me to see that bigger grips actually increased length, not necessarily because of rate of closure or more solid impact so much as their hands are less tense and now they're able to move in, in synchronization or at least as close as possible to kinematic sequence to what this person can naturally do. You know, it's interesting that uh, just to add to what you were you were talking about a moment ago about uh, the, the uh, gentleman with had the, the larger hands. I had a similar situation uh, a number of years ago with a gentleman uh, quite tall. I mean, I'm six foot four, and I've got you know relatively big hands, but they're fairly thin. My, you know, I don't have a lot of what I would classify as meat on my bones compared to some. Um, so you know, I don't have to. You know, I certainly play with a little bit uh, larger than a standard grip, but. Um, this particular gentleman that I w- w- am thinking about had very um, thick hands, not just fingers, but in the palms of his hands. And he actually played with fairly standard grips. And he said that one of the reasons he did was because when he closed his hands around the club, um, that extra padding, if you will, in his hands was able to give him a, a comfortable uh, hold of the club. Whereas if he put a larger grip, he, it no longer, in other words, the, the club basically just fit in perfect in his hands. Um, and, uh, you know, he, he was able to, to hold onto the club securely and be able to, uh, to execute the shots that he, the way he wanted to. So in that particular scenario, I didn't need to make any adjustments to, uh, uh, to the grips at all. Um, he was, you know, again, able to play with fairly standard grips. Um, now that obviously is not going to happen with everybody with larger hands. It just depends. So there's a lot of variables. It's not just the lengths of the fingers. Some people might think, or the, the length of the hand, if you will, it's also the thickness of the hand as well, I think, um, makes a difference as well. Correct. Absolutely. And, and again, I want to reiterate sort of as a, not necessarily as a disclaimer so much as right. to have the, 
audience to understand that we're we're talking in generalities here, and you if you feel like hey I am having a hard time holding on to the grip for whatever reason, it's worth experimentation to put a different size grip in your hand. And, and I, since I sort of leaned this way before I started this grip project, now I'm definitely leaning this way for a lot of other reasons. Mm-hmm. I'd rather see someone have a bigger grip in their hands if they're not necessarily a great player. If they're the weekend warrior, they're playing once or twice a month, they're they're mm-hmm. just swinging out of their shoes, having a good time, which we all want to do. Those bigger grips tend to be easier and more comfortable on the hands to control the golf club with. And I, I've actually started implementing that with some people just so that the audience can understand pros experiment with grips as much as amateurs do. Sure. And they'll typically start with their wedges because they hit wedges more than any other golf club. So if they're going to experiment, if, if their grip partner that they represent has a new style or a new model or a new compound or what have you, they'll typically start one or two of those grips in the typical size that they have with their current grip, put it on a wedge. Uh, from there, they'll try it with driver because that's the, the second club in the bag they hit most often and arguably the most important for them. They've got to get it in play. If it works for the wedges, works for the driver, they may slip it on an iron, an iron that they hit a lot of approach shots with. And if it passes those two, those three litmus tests, they have no problem switching. And that's a yep. great model to follow for the, for the amateur. You are hitting more wedges than you realize. And a lot of people are handsy with those wedges, more so in, in what I've seen because of two things. They're trying to be controlling, and because they're trying to be controlling, B, they just tense up on the grip. So that right. bigger grip actually frees them up to hit some of those more delicate shots or some of these more what I call romantic shots that a Mickelson or a Phil Rogers or a, a Hogan was able to do in mm. his day. Uh, you, you have to be careful with it. It's not for everybody. Uh, right. But I would I would say in generality, you're 15 or worse. You got to look at it. You, you have to take a look at it. You have to go to the pro that you're taking instruction from, receiving coaching from, and say, you know what, I want to experiment with this. Do you have any laying around? Can I slip one on a on a club somewhere? I actually carry these clubs with me now. I always leave a couple in the trunk or in my teaching bag. And if I see somebody who's really, really handsy getting a lot of grip tension, I'll throw that bigger grip in their hands and just say, just try it. Just try it. And I'd say nine out of ten times it does work. And I do get the feedback of, wow, that's more comfortable. I feel more controlled of the club with less tension. Uh, I I don't feel like my hands are hurting anymore after playing golf. I mean, there's numbers and numbers of different comments that came back that what it all added up to was the more comfortable that grip is in your hands, the better. Yeah, and also, too, I think it helps, uh, you know, a little bit with the shock absorption, too. Um, You know, having the larger grips, I think, uh, again, uh, you know, most amateurs, uh, unfortunately, a lot of them will, you know, pick up a a set of clubs or something off the rack and not really make any adjustments to the grip. And, And as you know, most of the manufacturers put a very basic grip uh, on on most of the clubs, if you go to any of your your retail outlets like a Dick Sporting Goods or something like that or uh, Academy Sports, 
and you know you hit a, a couple of bad shots and you and you can feel it literally you can feel it run up right at your arm so obviously i could see an advantage as well john with with having uh, these larger grips for some of the players that aren't as uh as good around the uh, around the course uh giving them a little bit more comfort that way as well i'd agree that the for for the average person listening out there there's two components of the golf club right now that are making the biggest technology advances in each of their technology generations, meaning uh, every six months or so, sometimes every four months, shafts change, literally change and make big differences, not only for the tour players, but potentially for the average player. The second component is the grip. Uh, You're seeing more and more manufacturers out there trying to fill in some niches everywhere. You see the bigger manufacturers, Golf Pride, who's a partner of mine, coming up with all sorts of new things. And then you see Superstroke and all these, not necessarily one-offs, but let's let's just get into putting. Let's make a bigger bigger grip for putting. And they've got four or five different sizes from small to gigantic, and their small is two, two times the size of what the grips used to be. So right. it's worth going out experimenting with grip simply because the technology to grips does change generationally much faster than, say, clubhead design or face. That's Those two things are regulated highly by the USGA. It's not that the shafts and the grips aren't. There's just a lot more room to grow in those two particular uh, components of the golf club which could produce performance for somebody. Yeah, well said. Um, John, I, I see we have waiting in the wings here to join us. Uh, one of the other uh, parts of the conversation tonight, we want to talk about um, game golf uh, and, and the great products that they have to offer. So let's bring on uh, our other guest tonight uh, that's, um, that's going to be joining us from, from game golf. He's the director of channel sales, uh, Mike Hammond. So let's bring Mike on and then we'll talk a little bit about that as well. Okay. Sure. All right. Good evening, Mike, and welcome to Golf Talk. Good evening. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm hey, glad Mike, that you're able to. Are you? <laughs> I'm doing well, John. Thank you. Um, glad you're able to join us tonight. We appreciate you uh, um, taking the time uh, to, to do so tonight. Um, Mike, let me just ask you very quickly, just for, for the benefit of the audience, maybe you can just kind of give a little bit of the, the history of, of game golf, what, what, uh, what products you have, and, and a little bit of how it works, and then, John, we'll, we'll get into some uh, further discussion. Absolutely. So, game golf launched at the PGA Show in 2014, in January 2014. Uh, the product has been in, in, you know, in design for probably six years by John McGuire coming to the U.S. from Ireland. So essentially what you have is you have a device that you wear on your belt, and then you've got tags that go into each one of your clubs. And in that device, there's um, GPS, there's an accelerometer, a gyroscope, and a compass. So basically what's happened is each tag that goes into the club is unique to the club. So the device knows, you know, there's a driver tag in the driver, the three-wood, you know, the five-iron, all the way down through your bag. So when the golfer goes out, we've mapped, you know, over 38,000 golf courses around the world. Mm. So when the golfer steps on the tee and they tag, we're taking a GPS reading of where they are. So every time the golfer hits a shot, they tag, and we're taking a reading. We're recording what club's being hit, where it's being hit from. 
And on all these golf courses have been mapped. We draw fences around all the tees, all the fairways, all the greens, the sand traps. So not only we're we recording shots being taken, we're we're recording you know, if fairways were hit, if greens were hit in regulation, if you missed the green, if you scrambled and got up and down, if you had a par save. So we start um, tracking all this information. So after you know five rounds, if I'm tracking all this, I can come to John and say, okay, here's my information. Here's how far I'm hitting my driver. Here's my tendencies with my driver. You know, here's how many fairways I'm hitting. Here's how many greens I'm hitting. And probably the biggest eye-opener for me and, and should be for, you know, most of the average golfers that are on our platform is we don't, we don't hit the ball nearly as far as we think we do. Right. So after, after 10 rounds, I did some analysis on, on, on my game, and I was able to save an average of uh, six shots per round just by, you know, hitting the right clubs, approaching the golf course in a different fashion. And that's before, you know, John tells me that I, you know, I need to technically, you know, clear my hips or take a club further outside. So this is all just, you know, course management and understanding your game where you can see immediate results without making any changes or improvements in your swing. So we launched the original product in January in November of uh, 2015 we came out with a Bluetooth device, so now I can actually have my, my Android phone or my iOS, and I turn on the, the phone, I turn on the device, the device is Bluetooth, so now my, my round is being recorded on the device and being mirrored on my phone. Wow, that's fantastic. It's, you know, it's incredible the technology that's out there now, and, and, and it obviously, uh, John, like you were talking about a moment ago with, with uh, the uh, club heads and, and so forth, how fast it's changing. John, as, as a golf professional, uh, a product like this um, that Game Golf is offering, how valuable is the information that they're able to gather through their devices uh, to you as a, as a coach uh, and as a teacher professional? If, if you're working with a student that you've uh, you know, connected with this particular device, how valuable is that information to you as an instructor? Hugely valuable, not only to me as a coach instructor, but similar to Mike, it has, it's actually helped my personal game, game rather, I'm just looking at my stats, seeing my trends, seeing things that I wasn't aware of. Uh, the way I describe this to my clientele is this is the <clears throat> next best thing to shot length that the PGA Tour has. Now you have the ability to have just as many, if not the same stats that the Tour players have. Uh, we, when we talk about performance, there, someone earlier tonight talked about you can fix your game or you can fix how you play the game. Game golf is all about fixing how you play the game, as right. Mike said, without right. needing the technical, <clears throat> the technical change. Do you have to invest as much time in this change? Well, you, you still have to invest some time to understand you and the story of your game, and that's what I feel is the real critical mass factor here is game golf tells the complete story of your game from the total total number of feet that you putt in a round down to the strokes game graphs that it provides that the tour players are looking at on a daily basis. It's, it's an incredible piece of data, an incredible tool and resource where if I'm able to sit down even with an 18 handicap and say, you know what, you don't hit that 7-iron 150, you hit it 128. And if we plot all these 128s onto a green graphic, 
It literally, mm-hmm. here's the flag, here's the green. We see everything short. The power of seeing it, it's a, you know, a picture tells a thousand stories. Right. The data that game golf produces produces some very powerful imagery that has literally, <clears throat> pardon the expression, kicked the butt of some of my clients that have, without making any swing changes, all of a sudden they come back and they've got these significant changes to their score simply because they're seeing who they are, the story of who they are as a golfer, and they don't like the story. So they take ownership of that data. They take ownership of their performance and their stats and literally make changes on their own because they don't like how the story reads. Right. Um, And, and Mike, you said something very interesting, which which obviously – those of us in the golf industry understand this much more so than the amateurs, but um, people don't realize that they're not hitting it as far um, as what they think they do. Um, and, and really it's difficult to gauge that. So what I want you to do, if you, if you wouldn't mind, um, Mike, is to sort of walk us through the process a little bit. Um, let, let's say I've, I've recently purchased the, the product and I've, I've got my device on my belt and I've got the, the tags uh, in, in the clubs. Walk us through um, a scenario, if you will. So I'm on the first tee and I'm, I'm ready to, to tee off. How specifically does the device work from that point? What actually happens? How do the devices communicate with one another? And how does it gather that feedback information? Yeah, so there's when you, when you go to hit the shot, I mean, you can tag before the shot, you can tag after the shot, and there's a whole other conversation about tagging before the shot because there's a lot okay. of pre-shot routines that condone you know, the tagging process to get you in the moment to, you know, like John's work with focus band, get that quiet eye, do things like, you know, we're seeing Jason Day do these days. Right. So there's a whole another conversation around tagging, but it, essentially when you tag, it's the, you're going to feel the device is going to vibrate. There's three okay. lights that are on the device. Uh, one of the lights will turn green and it'll stay green for, you know, 60 seconds so that, you know, if, if you're, you know, you're in the moment, you're trying to hit the shot, you know, you look down after got- you get the shot, just make sure you're tagged and it's still green. Okay. So that's, that's the process of, of tagging on every shot. So now with Bluetooth, if you, if you wanted to, you can scroll back through and, you know, take a look at what you did the previous holes. Um, it's good to note that if you actually don't use your phone, that we're, you know, we're allowed under the rules of golf to be used in tournament play. Hmm. So I can actually, you know, I can go out and record a, a competitive round, and it's legal. Wow, that's incredible. Um, so, so then just to, to make sure, because I want to make sure the audience, obviously they don't have the benefit of, of seeing this visually, uh, you know, during our conversation. So I just want them to understand. So while I'm on the on the tee, uh, as an example, I've I've tagged, I'm ready to go. I hit my shot. I now walk up to wherever the ball happens to be, whether it's in the fairway or left or right. Um, at this point it's relevant, but so what happens now? How does it record that information? Do I tag it again? And at at that point it now knows that's where my drive went. Is that essentially how it works? That's exactly how it works. So you're, you're tagging before you hit every shot. So when I'm on tee, I tag with my driver. I go out in the fairway. I tag with my eight iron. It records an eight irons being hit. Now we know what the yardage is of the drive. And we also know where it is in respect to the fairway. Now, so you how, do it how, on putts every shot. Right. And I noticed on – I obviously went to uh, the website earlier to, to take a look at some of the imagery that you had on there. And uh, it obviously was able to give you dispersion patterns um, 
which is obviously, John, goes right into your wheelhouse, what you talked about earlier. Um, is there a, um, a point where during a practice session that this technology can be used, that we be able to give information? I guess you can't really walk out into the range, um, but is there, is there an opportunity at this product in the future, or can it at this point now uh, help somebody in a practice session? I would, um, at this Mike, Mike, I'm, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Mike. You can you can answer the technical question better and from the practice area. I can I can answer that. Yeah. Go so ahead. I mean, currently it's it's used in in during the course of play. And one thing that you know John said earlier that we kind of glossed over is, and I was on a you know conference call today talking about wearables. And there's there's a lot of wearable technology right now where you're able to record things but you don't necessarily do anything with it. And what John talked about, you know, from the staff standpoint and strokes gained, the strokes gained is, so not only are we collecting all this data, but we're actually, you know, we're coming back to the golfer and saying, okay, here's what this means, because not everybody's that analytical. And the whole right. strokes gained is based on Dr. Brody's, you know, every shot counts. But mm-hmm. coupled with having, it's great to have stats, but the beauty is game golf is also giving you the visuals and the solutions. So, you know, I can go out with my Fitbit and they can tell me, you know, where I've gone and, and so forth. But here we're actually, we're doing much more. We're giving you the visual because there's a visual side of this and also solutions. Hmm. And from, now, the, from the practice standpoint of you, Ted, oh, this isn't, I would tell you it's practice rounds where this pays off as well as competitive right. rounds. And it picks up where a flight scope leaves off. Obviously, okay. flight scope's out on the range. Mm-hmm. It, and it, it's giving you not only ball data, it's giving you club data. Uh, game golf doesn't necessarily give you the club data because that's not the important thing that you're playing. The important thing is that is that you are playing, and let's pay attention to every shot and let's see how each shot performs, not only singularly but collectively as one whole round. So it's it's literally, I would call it a partner resource of mine. I can use flight scope all day long on the range, but until I put you under the heat of the moment, do we really know what you're doing from a performance standpoint of view, from ball score statistics? Like Mike said, it's providing data, usable data, and solutions Mm -hmm. within that data that just sort of stare you in the face. You scratch your head and go, wow, why didn't I figure that out before? (laughs) Um, Mike, does some of the data that we get back, like, you know, as you mentioned, obviously you're, you're tagging each shot as you're playing your round. Um, will it give you, uh, in, in some of your stats that you, you sort of get fed back, will it give you an average um, for your irons? Like, for instance, uh, if you hit, you know, six or seven, eight irons uh, in a given round, uh, does it have the ability at this point to give you an average, or do you have to sort of build that out yourself um, with the data that comes back? No, we... We do provide um, averages by club, so after right. you know recorded a few rounds, yeah, absolutely. And then mathematically, you know, if I punch out a six iron or you know I top a drive, mathematically we just eliminate you know the outliers, both you know sure. on the short side and the long side. And you know after ten rounds, I looked at my bag because now I knew my average yardage by club. And I right. had significant gaps in my bag, so I went and I went and replaced. I mean, I had two hybrids that went the same distance. My four iron was shorter than my five iron, so I went and put you know different clubs in my bag. And that's not my you know I'm not a club junkie, 
but I right. saw that, you know, there was yardages, there were gaps in my bag, and I went and addressed it because now I had the information to help me do it. So this, this is really a great tool, and, and this was going to the point I was getting at, um, a great tool for those that really don't understand how far they're hitting um, specific clubs or, or any of their clubs. Uh, because, again, you can't always gauge. I mean, the, the signs out on, the, on some of the ranges are, are not always 100% accurate. I know that they try to give a, the illusion that they are, but uh, um, as we all know, that sometimes they may be off a little bit. So if you're trying to get an idea of, of exactly how far you're hitting or an average of how far you're hitting specific clubs or, or you know, all your clubs, um, this is certainly uh, game golf gives you the opportunity to do that through the rounds that you play. Correct. That's correct. And it I'm, also yeah, there, allows you to compare. It allows you to compare clubs. In Mike's case, uh, he actually has three different drivers that he's trying out or using, say, over the past couple of months. And you're literally with different tags with each different club. You'll see averages of those three different golf clubs. So he's actually able to compare that as well. Hmm. Yeah. I wow. picked up 15 yards by going to a regular shop driver. Wow, that's incredible. So, I mean, there, there's a lot of feedback that, that it's giving you. Um, now, I noticed also, uh, Mike, going on the, the website, that there were um, you have a newer version now, uh, a lot, I guess a live version. Tell us the difference between your classic and the live. What's What's different about that? Uh, the the classic, the original product was you were just recording your rounds. You were tagging as you were out playing. At the conclusion of the round, you you know went and connected to your computer via, via USB and uploaded the round. Mm-hmm. Now what's happening? The new device is Bluetooth, so you're able okay. to you know you can actually have it synced while you're while you're playing, or you can immediate you know as soon as you get into the 19th hole, you can turn on your phone, upload your round right there on your phone. Wow. So you're, you're getting that information instantaneous. You don't have to wait till you, you go back home. So you can, you know, while you're having a, a cocktail in the, at the 19th uh, hole, you can, uh, you can look at the, the information from your, from your uh, day's round. Exactly. Or if you bomb that drive on three and you want to see how far you hit it, you can see it. <laughs> it gives you so, some bragging rights. <laughs> exactly. Right. The other thing, and, uh, the other thing it does, Ted, is once you've played that round and you, you sign for your round, you can share that with your coach. I, I follow several several of my players uh, who share their round. As soon as they're done playing, I get can get instantaneous feedback of their round and be able to comment on it, uh, pat them on the back, console them if they need some consoling. It's it's a really interactive tool as well from the standpoint of view of a, of a coaching relationship. It's it's done wonders for me with my out of town clients as far as me being able to keep up with them in real time versus trying to remember to email them or call them every couple of weeks. Every time they go out and play and they sign the round, I get an email saying, hey, so-and-so played, and this was the score, and I can immediately dive into their round and see what they did. So you can get get information, um, including the the complete stats uh, through that, or you just get the overall picture? I can get the complete stats. Wow. I mean, that's, that's a great tool for, for a coach. Now I also see too, Mike, that there's um, your products have the ability to um, share that information, obviously as, as um, John just talked about with the coach now, but also uh, allows you the opportunity to uh, compete with, with other golfers, uh, 
through the product as well. Tell us a little bit about how that works. Yeah, so very similar to what John just said is, you know, I'm, I'm following several hundred golfers, but I've got my buddies that, you know, I'm getting emails I can see. I'm going to, mm-hmm. by following them, I can actually, I'll get emails showing me their rounds and I can go see shot for shot what they did. Right. But I can also, I can post my rounds, you know, via Facebook or Twitter if I choose to. So there's a right. whole social side to this and a lot of fun. You know, we've got this comparison screen where I can compare myself to my buddies for, you know, longest drive, greens and regulation, putts, whatever whatever we want to measure, we can do it. And then we also have the ability, if somebody wants to have some fun, they can create some challenges with our buddies. Wow, that's that's interesting. And also, too, I see that uh, you're able to do it with with those pros that are that are also involved with it as well. And I'm talking about obviously PGA pros and and uh, and others. Uh, you're able also to sort of uh, compare yourselves to how they're they're um, doing with the system as opposed to what you're doing. Correct? Yeah, I, I can compare myself to Graham McDowell, Lee Westwood, Jim Furyk, Chesson Hadley, Sophie Walker, and. Uh, our, the most recent sign was uh, Maria Verkhanova, the the Russian hmm. player. So, you know, what John said earlier is the PGA Tour players have shot link, and Sophie Walker came to us. She's playing on the European Tour, and she says, I don't have that information. So both she and Maria are both using it in competitive place. So they can track this information. Which now, you also... worth noting, Ted, not one of those people that Mike mentioned are paid to use it. They're all they're all wanting to use it for various reasons, for their own good. They're unpaid promoters of the product. Yeah, that's that's great. I like that. Um, if if somebody wants to, um, I, we'll give the website uh, information here in, in a minute. But if, if somebody wants to. Um, go and, and see, do you have some YouTube videos available on that, that they can see how it works a little bit more, or, or is that on the website? There's there's a lot. If you scroll down to the bottom in support, there's a lot of video there. There's a tremendous amount of YouTube videos where you can see things, and um, I encourage people to go to our website because we're we're running a million-dollar sweepstakes right now. Oh, okay, great. So you don't have to purchase product to do it, and basically we're going to be holding drawings where um, – the first tournament is going to be the U.S. Open, and we're going to pick a, a winner the, the week before. And if they actually pick the player, they win 5000 If they actually pick the player and the score, they're going to win 250000 So wow. that's set up over four different tournaments. So if, if the correct score isn't picked in the first three events, the fourth mm-hmm. event is going to be worth a million dollars. So you're going to have a carryover. Wow, that's that's fantastic. Um, so let's give them the website where they can go and um, – then I want to give you an opportunity to maybe share if there's anything new that's coming out that, uh, that you want to share. Um, where do they go if they want to purchase the product and um, where they can get additional information? Uh, right now they can go to their, their local golf shop, local retailers, and they can go to gamegolf.com to get the product. And right now we're actually running a dads and grads promotion at $100 off. So the product retails for $299 and it's available from now through Father's Day at 199. Wow, so that's great fantastic. savings on the Bluetooth. For sure. Um, now, how long does the? Obviously, I'm assuming you have to charge the the devices uh, or the device up that that you wear. Um, how long will that device last? Um, I, I guess per charge, or how does it work? Yeah, you do. You charge it. You know, just using your phone. Same charger. as you would like an iPhone. And okay. 
Exactly, and it's gonna it's gonna hold the charge for uh, ten hours. Okay. And if you if you don't pull the rounds off it, it can store up to ten rounds. So if I wanted to, you know, if I wasn't if I didn't have the Bluetooth version and I went over to Ireland and played ten rounds, it would store all those rounds and I could upload them when I came home. Wow, very good, um, John. Obviously, you've you've found this to be a valuable uh, tool not only for yourself to use, but obviously for students. Um, is this something that really more and more uh, teachers should become involved with this type of technology um, to not only help their students, but also, um, you know, to be able to help themselves, I guess, really, um, as you said, you, you noticed a big improvement uh, just from using some of the, get, getting some of the information that you got. There's, I don't see any reason why someone wouldn't want to use this other than, maybe they just don't want to change their habits or they think they know this data and mm. there's no way they can know all the data. They may know greens and rag and uh, fairways hit and number of putts, but this goes much, much deeper. And nobody, nobody I've ever talked to this point walks around with an Excel spreadsheet and documents everything <laughs> And right. that's what this does. So it's sort of, to me, it's sort of a no-brainer. Uh, when I get when I get clients to who are ultra dedicated to their game, uh, the mini tour pool players, better amateurs, they normally come to me and want more time out of me and and keep me on a retainer to do so. And one of the first things I hand them is game golf, and it's a must. It's hey, if we're gonna have this coaching relationship and if you're going to want things out of me I need the data so I can provide that to you so it's a must if I literally will hand them a unit put the tags on the on the uh, clubs and show them how it works uh, and it takes a little while for some people I've, I've got some people that readily adapt in the very first round and that's always a good thing but typically Mike said five to ten rounds I've seen trending with some of my clients at two rounds where they're literally making an adjustment to their bag. More than likely they're making an adjustment to their decision-making out on the golf course, which therefore leads to better rounds long-term, not just short-term. So I don't know why anyone would not want to do this other than they just don't want the true story of the game. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. Um, Mike, is there anything, uh, sort of what's the next generation? Are you guys working on some things now? I mean, I know obviously some things you may not want to give out right now, but uh, is there sort of a next generation or is there uh, some additional technology that you're working on right now to even improve what you've already got? No, that's a great question. I mean, we're we're always looking at, you know, what, what the next version is <clears throat> going to be. But I think what's, you know, we haven't mentioned here is, where you know the team is in San Francisco, we've got some great engineers, and what they're always doing is creating more views and more value for anybody that has the product. So you know we rolled out strokes gained in January. You know anybody that bought the product you know a year prior didn't have that. As soon as we rolled it out, it was available to every golfer on our platform. So I would say it's you know analytics that we continue to work on a regular basis. So the value of the product just goes up over time for anybody that purchases it. So, you know, in the short term, it's it's really creating more things. You know, you'll see live leaderboard coming here shortly. And, you know, so that, you know, if John and I are out playing, we can actually, and we're both using live, we can actually you know, have some fun and have a game on the golf course. Wow. 
Um, so it's you know it's just amazing really what the technology is able to provide us now. Um, it, it just literally baffles the mind. Um, Mike, I want to thank you for for joining us tonight, and I appreciate uh, shedding the light on on Game Golf. I think it's a fantastic product, and um, I, I think uh, you know as John had articulated, I think that anybody. Um, really should be asking the question is why not um, use this technology? It's giving them a lot of information, and as you, um, Mike, pointed out yourself, it's helped you make some decisions on on making adjustments uh, in your golf bag. A lot of players, especially high handicappers out there, carry a lot of clubs in their bag that are really not benefiting them, and this information that they're getting using your product is, is going to help them make a, a much better informed decision about what they carry in their bag uh, the next time they go to the golf course. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much for having me. I enjoyed it. John, I appreciate it. Thank you. you as well. Thank you, Mike, and, and thank you. Uh, much continued success with the product, and uh, I'd love to have you come back on again sometime. I'd love it. All right. Thanks, Mike. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Um, John, let me ask you, um, obviously, it's a very interesting product. How long have you been using the product? I've been using it since it first came out. I had some difficulties with the initial products, but worked <clears> through them. And <throat> the live product, uh, I actually tested before it was put out on the market. I tested it in November and was thrilled, absolutely thrilled with, with what it was doing. It made my job even that much easier. I didn't have to come home and put it on the computer and upload it. I got it instantaneously. It it. it Everything they do, uh, as Mike said, they're they're constantly improving it and updating it. I see my app on my phone updated about once every 14 to 20 days with something new, a new view, a new stat, a new way of looking at an existing stat. It, it's it's pretty powerful information and a and a, and a really good. The Mr. McGuire, the guy who thought about this. He he really thought about it. He's not leaving a stone unturned when it comes to trying to provide the average amateur what the pro has from a, a data resource standpoint of view. I, my hat's off to him. It's a, like I said, I, it's a staple if someone's really wanting to play well with me. It's it's a it's a must, and if they're not willing to buy it, I just hand it to them. Yeah. You know, and, and I like the fact that it, it gives a lot of information. I mean, traditionally, you know, as you pointed out earlier, you know, uh, people were more concerned with, you know, how many greens I'm hitting in regulation, fairways hit. And that information is certainly good and it's certainly useful. But it just, you know, from, from my understanding of what the, this particular product does is it gives you so much more information. Uh, and as Mike uh, pointed out, we talked about briefly um, you know, a lot of players don't understand how far they're hitting their clubs, uh, you know, and, and until you really understand that, it's very difficult to make informed decisions out in the golf course. You know, if you're not sure how far you're hitting each of your clubs and you're getting out there and, you know, whether you're 150 or 200 yards away uh, and you don't really have an understanding of how far those clubs are going, then you're not really going to select necessarily the proper club. So this tool not only uh, tracks the the you know the the information that it's uh, that it's getting from each of your rounds, but it's providing you with valuable information to make an informed decision when you're playing uh, future rounds. So, you know whether you get it in two rounds, as as you suggested with some of your clients, or five to ten, as, as Mike talked about, is is typically the average. Um, you know, literally within a, a month or two, depending on how much golf you play, 
you can get a pretty detailed and accurate um, informed decision of, of how you're playing each of your rounds um, and, and deciding what, what clubs need to be left at home and, and swapped out or, or uh, you know, thrown out or whatever, sold on uh, eBay or something or Amazon um, is, is pretty much what you're getting from this product, correct? Correct. And, and uh, as, I, as I was saying, this is the way I would sum it up. If you've got the opportunity to learn more about your game, and it's literally just fingertips away, which is what game golf does, mm-hmm. why not? It, it, like I say, it's, it's almost a no but Well, it is a no-brainer for even the, the higher handicap because the information that's provided lends itself to, I'm going to call it not necessarily instant gratification, but with some small tweaks to maybe how you think about hitting shots or how you go about the process of your pre-shot routine or whatever the case mm-hmm. may be, it'll, it, you can literally see some instant improvement in your game. Uh, right. It's, it, sometimes it bewilders me why people don't look at that. The, the argument can be made ahead. I spend a lot of money on equipment. This is one piece of equipment. It just it's a no brainer not to, to you, you shouldn't be without it. Yeah. Yeah, and and I, I like again the information that it's giving you is is useful information. I mean, there's a lot of products out there that um, you know record certain data that that you know, is interesting and it, it might bear, a, a you know, some discussion, but it's really not giving you a benefit. And obviously game golf's products are, are giving you um, a benefit and, and, and going to change your, your end result. And, you know, people want to improve golf and, and, you know, at the game and, and want to obviously have fun at it. And if you're continually frustrated all the time because you're, you're making poor choices or bad decisions out in the golf course, because you're not, dealing with the information that you need to have. And, 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 you know, as they, one of the guests talked about earlier in coach's corner, um, I think it was Tony Brooks mentioned, you know, his, he's only seeing some of his students maybe once a week or once every couple of weeks, depending on the, on the, the setup. Um, you know, a coach can only do so much. They can't see every round that you're playing. Well, this gives them that opportunity uh, to be engaged with your rounds on a regular basis. They can see what you're doing and, and where you're having difficulties and what clubs you're, you're getting the most benefit from. So there's a lot of useful information, not just for the player, but also if you're working with a coach or, or a teach professional, um, if you're will, willing to partner up with them uh, in the process, uh, can really help open their eyes considerably onto how you're playing. I agreed. Totally agree. Well, John, uh, I, I hate to say this, but we're we're coming to the end of the, the program. I've enjoyed the conversation. It was interesting to uh, to hear about some of the uh, things that you've been doing with the GRIP project, and I'd love to hear, as the study continues, I'd love to hear more about that, so you'll have to come back again and share that uh, a little further along in the process when you've got some more uh, information to share, but to also enjoyed uh, uh, Mike coming on and, and talking about Game Golf. I think it's a great product and, uh, and deserves... Uh, uh, some uh, a closer look, uh, not just by uh, some of the students and some of the amateurs out there, but also uh, other coaches and teacher professionals that are listening to the program. Uh, if you're not only familiar, already familiar with the product, go to GameGolf.com, check it out. I think it's something that you may not only want to get for yourself, but it may be something that you want to encourage uh, your students to get as well. So I strongly, uh, strongly urge you to do that. Um, John, just in the closing minute or two, um, why don't you tell the good folks how they can reach out and contact you if they want to... Uh, learn more information about John Hughes Golf. 
Sure, and, and once again, Ted, thanks for the opportunity. It's rare that we get to do this just solo, you and I, for an hour. Mm-hmm. Whenever I can bring up some different things, some new things that, that aren't necessarily always discussed, it's always right. a lot of fun from my end as well as yours, I'm sure. Uh, John John at John Hughes Golf is my email address. Uh, John Hughes Golf is the website. My phone number is there as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm I'm pretty pretty accessible. I, I pretty much promise people that if you contact me before five o'clock Eastern every day, you're going to get some kind of reply from me, and I pretty much hold to that. I lose some sleep every once in a while during the busy season because of it, but but I do hold true to that because if, when someone really wants to improve their, their game, I want to be there for them and be able to supply that for them. Um, and just as we get into the shorter season or the, the off season, I'm going to call it here in Florida, you're probably going to uh, – see some things for me social media wise that are great opportunities to come out meet me get around to golf at Falcon Fire where I teach and combine some things uh, instruction and play and have a good time and, and be able to enjoy yourself well John it's always uh, always a pleasure and uh, enjoy your input and, and comments uh, on the panel discussion but I also appreciate you coming on uh, as a featured guest as well, and, and uh, bringing us up to speed on some of the things that you're working on. It's always interesting to see what other professionals are doing uh, out there, and uh, there, there's really so many things that we can talk about, so I'll have you uh, again uh, in in the future on, on a separate segment, but I look forward to uh, the next uh, time that you're going to be on Coach's Corner. So, John, have a great Memorial weekend. Uh, appreciate you it as always. Thing, and uh, and I look forward to uh, having you back on again. Again, appreciate it, and you have a great Memorial Day weekend as well. All right. Thanks, John. Yep. All right. That was my very special guest, John Hughes, uh, master, uh, PJ Master Professional, uh, Vice President of the North Florida PJ Section. And uh, as I mentioned, he's the uh, PJ of America Horton Smith Award recipient back in 2013 and has been recognized as one of the top 30 instructors uh, by Golf Tips Magazine, certainly a well-seasoned veteran of the game, uh, and as uh, he very clearly articulated, enjoys uh, helping others out there. And I also want to spank, uh, th- thank, excuse me, um, you can tell I'm getting tired. Uh, I want to thank uh, also for joining us uh, Mike Hammond, the uh, Director of Channel Sales at Game Golf. Go to GameGolf.com to learn more information about a great product. Uh, I'm certainly going to be checking it out uh, a little bit more thoroughly. Uh, myself, but uh, sounds like a great product out there for, uh, as I said, not just the uh, those of you that want to improve your game and, and play uh, better, but uh, also for some of the instructors out there as well that might be tuning into the program. Uh, here's a good opportunity, a uh, great opportunity for you as well to uh, to get a product that I think can help both you and the student uh, play better golf, and that's really what it's all about. So I want to take this opportunity to thank. Uh, all of you for tuning in faithfully each and every week. I, I really do enjoy uh, having uh, this opportunity to share um, what I feel is a great game with a lot of uh, you out there, and I enjoy having a lot of the guests like I did this evening uh, and each and every week. So I will see you next Thursday at 6 p.m. Central right here on Golf Talk Live. God bless everybody, and have a great and safe Memorial Weekend. <laughs>